listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lease. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Yeah. Hello. It's about time. Hello, buddy. Hello, buddy. Hello, dear buddy. Hello, Trying dear to escape buddy. my dungeon, are you? <laughs> Welcome to Hello. another week of Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Elise, and I've got a pocket, got a pocket full of sunshine, I've got a love and I know that's all mine. Oh. Wow. That was very oh, impressive. Whoa. And I am your other co-host, Tamator. The secret to my youth is drinking blood. Wow. Okay. That's cool. It's a nice... Don't really know what to say to that. Just putting that out there. Moving on. Anyway. Anyway, welcome back to another week. As I mentioned, we are Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. If you are new here, we do a little disclaimer at the start of the show. So we just let you know that we do tend to swear quite a bit. So if swearing is not your thing, we would kindly ask that you fuck off. Yeah. Sorry. Bye. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to fuck off. You are more than welcome to stay. Just don't you dare leave us a one-star review on yeah, it's cool if you don't like it, but like, I mean, it's going to be here. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We've, we've told you it's going to happen. So you're not going to get an hour into the podcast and we'll drop something Leave and us be a like, oh my God, speaking, my ears. Speaking of reviews, I just wanted to give a quick shout oh, yes. out because we had some really lovely reviews left for us last week, um, which was really sweet. So thank you very much to those of you who have taken the time out of your busy lives to leave us positive reviews. Mm-hmm. Because it does genuinely help in terms of how we chart, especially for Apple. Apple takes its reviews very seriously, so it helps us grow and people discover us. And, you know, a little ego boost for yeah, Tamara and I. absolutely. So, it's just nice seeing, uh, you know, you guys really enjoying the show. and Yeah. Um, we It's kind of just shit because, like, the one-star reviews that we do get aren't really anything to do with the quality or the content of the show. It's always it's something just random like that's, The yeah. swearing or, you know... Anyway, we focus on the positive. So, if you are new around here, we bring out new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. We would love it if you left us a review and you can check us out on all things social media at the BSC Podcast. And with that, Tama, unless you have any more housekeeping, let's just... Jump, jump right, right into in. it yeah let's do it so i am covering a pretty tragic and sort of not bittersweet but like you know melancholy melancholy how, how do you say that word melancholy Mel- melancholy um ending or like a just a story really okay so i'm talking about brandon bruce lee who is the only son oh of you are doing bruce this one yeah. okay all right so he was born on the 1st of February, 1965. He was the only son of famous martial artist Bruce Lee. He's also the son of, um, I believe she was a martial artist coordinator, Linda Lee, Bruce Lee's Oh, wow. I didn't wife. know that. So he, along with his uh, sister Shannon Lee, were born from Bruce Lee and Linda Lee. Um Brandon being the only son that Bruce Lee had. And tragically, when Brandon was eight years old is when Bruce Lee passed away. Um, and his, you know, film, his, his 
his most popular film came out posthumous. Right. Um, and it's a very tragic story. So in the light of, you know, Bruce Lee becoming this massive star posthumously, Brandon Lee, his son, wanted to follow in his footsteps. So he started training martial arts and studying acting at the Emerson College and the Lee Strasberg Theatre and Film, Film Institute. And he began a career pretty early into his uh, his years. He was in leading roles in movies such as the Hong Kong action film Legacy of Rage in 1986 and the West German action film Laser, Laser Mission in 1989. And eventually Brandon worked on, um, went on to go work in Hollywood. He landed a role in the 1991 buddy cop film Showdown in Little Tokyo and the leading role in 1992's Rapid Fire. Now, neither of the films saw any sort of commercial success. They weren't very popular uh, and were kind of negatively critiqued, but all of that was not to shine a light on Brandon's performance. His performances and both movies were regarded as fantastic and oh, okay. they were the highlights of the films. Right. And Showdown in Little Tokyo has actually gone on to become a cult classic film. So it might have just been, you know, a, uh, at, at the, the time kind of thing. It wasn't really yeah. the right movie for the right time. But anyway, Lee, uh, Brandon Lee's performances and his credibility as an actor was fantastic. He was in such an early stage of his career, just a very phenomenal actor. Uh, they had nothing positive, nothing but positive things to say about him in both films, and eventually this led to Brandon being casted as Eric Draven in the nineteen ninety four film The Crow. Now, the The Crow is cult classic, a fucking fantastic film. It's it's just so badass mm. and dark and gothic, and it's it's regarded as a, a superhero film because it's adapted from a comic book series of the same name by um, author James O'Barr who created the comic of the same name, The the Crow. So, reportedly, Brandon was very involved in the makings of the movie. He and the producer, Jeff Most, worked closely together to get the character kind of right. Uh, Brandon wanted to model the physical appearance of Eric after the Black Crow's vocalist, Chris Robinson. If you, if you know who he is, very long hair, very cool, you know, metal guitarist-looking man. Um... He was extremely dedicated to getting the character right, so he went on a strict diet and an exercise regime to lose most of his bulk and body fat. He wanted to make his appearance look more like that of a, you know, just a, a musician, someone who isn't a very regular martial artist as he mm. was, just someone who was in relatively good shape. And he was also instrumental in the stunt coordination and choreography of the fight scenes. He managed to get... Jeff Imada uh, hired as the stunt coordinator and together they made Eric's uh, fighting style a bit more unique. So not your conventional martial artist or, you know, uh, trained fighter, but more of a, he, along with the premise of the movie, he's someone who get, who garners supernatural, supernatural abilities. So they wanted to implement this really unique style where it's like someone who comes into these powers learning how to fight. Mm. Um, it's just it's just very interesting the levels that he went to to you know make his character stand out and get put a foot into the door of his films. 
Now, on March 31st of 1993 at EUE Screen Gem Studio in Wilmington, North Carolina, Lee was filming a scene where his character Eric is shot after witnessing the beating and rape of his fiance. At this stage, the majority of the film had been shot with only eight days left before the completion of the film and Brandon was only needed to shoot scenes for about three more days or so. In this scene, the character Fun Boy, who is played by Michael Massey, fires a 44 Magnum Smith & Wesson revolver at Lee. In the previous scene, the same gun was used with dummy cartridges fitting in the bullets without any powder or primer. Now, I'm not an expert on guns. However, powder and primer are generally things that you need to fire projectiles in such a thing as a gun. Or, I'm going to assume so. You know. For close-up scenes that use a revolver, just to sort of break this down a little bit, where the bullets are clearly visible from the front, they don't require the gun to be actually fired, so dummy cartridges provide a more realistic appearance than blank rounds, which don't have bullets. Mm-hmm. As the prop crew were pretty rushed along by time constraints, they took it upon themselves to, rather than buy commercial dummy cartridges, they made their own, which is kind of a... Let's not do that. Yeah, How that about? just already doesn't sound great. Yeah, it's just, it's just a it's just an accident waiting to happen. Um, the dummy cartridges were made by pulling bullets from live rounds, dumping the powder charge, and then reinserting the bullets. Mm-hmm. This... Un- they did unknowingly leaving the live primer in place at the rear of the cartridges. Mm-hmm. So sometimes during sometimes during filming, uh, the revolver was used and discharging one of these cartridges led to the primer being set off, which is what they used to... In, I, I believe it's what is used to initiate the bullet casing moving right. through the barrel. And then the powder is the sort of explosion that projects it very far. I'm really loving the hand movements. Yeah, you guys don't get no any of this. No one else can see. So the gun goes off sometimes during sometimes during uh, filming. These dummy cartridges, which have no powder in them, but they have the primer. This allows a bullet to leave the casing and with just enough force to drive the bullet partway through the barrel where it then gets stuck. So it's stuck in the barrel right now. Either due to negligence or just ignorance, they didn't. the props department didn't really see this as a major issue, so they carried on. This leads us to the scene with the crow and fun boy. In the scene, Michael Massey is set to fire at Brandon Lee with the same revolver from a distance of 12 to 15 feet or 3 to 5 meters thereabouts. The... First red flag of this entire scene is that the production team had sent the firearm specialists home early for the day and had given responsibility for the guns to a prop assistant who wasn't at all savvy with the preventative and safety measures necessary, such as checking all firearms before and after handling. Love that. Secondly, for this scene, the dummy cartridges were exchanged for blank rounds, which have live powder charges and primer just without the bullet, allowing the gun to be fired without projecting any bullet or projectile. Just a loud noise and kind of an explosion, if that makes sense. This mixed with the firearm not being checked properly by an expert led to the gun being filled with uh, blank rounds while the 44 Magnum bullet was still lodged in the barrel of the gun. Now, as blanks still have powder and primer in them, this led to the 44 bullet in the barrel to be fired with basically the exact same force as if the gun had been loaded with a live round. The bullet 
strikes Brandon in the in the abdomen, wounding him very seriously. After Massey pulled the trigger and the director said cut, Brandon did not stand up. Jeff Amato, who immediately checked Lee, noticed that something was wrong when he came close and noticed that he was unconscious and breathing rather heavily. The medic Clyde Basie went over and shook Lee to see if he was just dazed by hitting his head on the fall, but after checking his pulse, he found the heartbeat to be regular, but within a few minutes, it slowed down dramatically and ultimately stopped. He was immediately rushed to New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington. He underwent six hours of surgery, but unfortunately, all attempts to save his life was unsuccessful, and he was pronounced dead on 1.03 p.m. of March 31st at the age of 28. It's so sad. It's tragic. As mentioned before, the accident came at a time when filming and production was almost all completed. So as a result, the producers of the film were left with the dilemma of, do we continue and subsequently finish this film? To further their troubles, Paramount Pictures opted out of their involvement of the film following Brandon Lee's death. Not strictly due to his death per se, but more so because his death had caused delays to the filming, which is... Kind of gross. Yeah. But I think they also just didn't want to stick by the heat of what would happen if they released the film showing violent depictions of Lee following his death. I don't know. Mm. However, this led to Miramax picking up the film with the plan to release the film in theaters, dropping an additional $8 million to help complete the film. And this was perfect because along with Brandon's... This came along with Brandon's mother and fiance supporting the continuation of the film. And this led to director Alex Proyas to actually finish the film. So script rewrites were needed and some of the flashback scenes that were yet to be filmed. So in addition, this was, they added um, additional narration and new scenes, including rewriting the beginning scene and the apartment scene um, using CGI from earlier scenes of Brandon sort of splashed in and the work went into finishing the crow was actually pretty revolutionary at the time. It kind of pioneered CGI techniques to finish off works in the case of actors dying. So think along the case of Paul Walker in Furious 7, where they impose his face on a stunt double. And um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Hunger Games. Yes. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, Sure. I, I know what you're talking about. I don't, no yeah um but yeah same sort of thing it's it involves using a stunt double in this case it was brandon stump doubles chad stahelski and jeff cadiente as stand-ins and they use cgi to superimpose brandon's face onto them now in 1994 the crow opened up as number one in the u.s uh in 157 uh 100 1,573 theaters, sorry, grossing at 11.7 million. And the film eventually grossed around 50.7 million, beating its budget of 23 million. And that includes the 8 million million that was pumped in later on. The film is dedicated to Brandon and his fiance. And it, as you know now, became a massive cult classic, as well as being regarded as Brandon's best work of his entire short-lived, tragically, career. A month after his death, Brandon's previous films, Laser Mission, Showdown in Little Tokyo, and Rapid Fire saw a huge surge in video sales. And on April 26, in 1993, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which is a biopic following the life of Bruce Lee, premiered at the Man's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, and it was dedicated to 
Brandon Lee, his son. Turn this off. Here is a quote from Paul Bauer's book, The Sheltering Sky, of which Brandon quoted in an interview just prior to his death and is now inscribed on his tombstone. Because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an exhaustible well, and yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood? An afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it. Perhaps four or five more, five times more. Perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20, and yet it all seems limitless. And that is the tragic story of Brandon Bruce Lee, who was just such a fantastically talented actor mm. who just had his career cut so short at the tragic age of 28, which is, you know, how yeah. old you are. Um, yeah. But yes, The Crow is a fantastic film. I would definitely recommend to anyone to check out The Crow. It's just one of those like cool and just, you know, badass gothic. Yeah. You know, just that like he's a... He's a he plays a musician um, who's uh, tragically killed in the first few minutes of the film, and then yeah, is resurrected um, with supernatural abilities. It's just fucking cool. It's very um, sad. It is very sad. You just sort of think about, and, and it, it's the same with his father, Bruce Lee. The passing of you know both the actors, mm. sort of in this time where like it was before the height of their success really and yeah. after their deaths it's when people start to recognize them as fantastic actors which is just sort of tragic but beautiful in its own way mm. um yeah it just it would have been fantastic to sort of see where he went from there you know mm. that was a beautiful quote though it is yeah i would be interested in checking out the book it comes from mm. Um, but yeah, I, I let me know if you guys have seen The Crow or any of Brandon Lee's films. I definitely will be checking out a couple of his others, like Showdown Little Tokyo. I haven't actually seen that one. Um, and his Hong Kong film. Um, it's just a... You know, he's just one of those actors where it's just... Even if a film isn't necessarily that fantastic, he's himself is... Yeah, he's Makes it presence. sort of worth it. Yeah, he has a great presence to him. Um, but yeah, just an exceptional martial artists so I, I believe um bruce lee's only surviving child is shannon lee which is brandon lee's sister, sister. um and yeah i just you know I, th I think i think it's just important to sort of watch films like the crow and sort of mm. remember who brandon lee was to keep that sort of memory live and keep that legacy because these two Brandon Lee and his father Bruce left a fucking wake like a they trailblazed yeah and they left such a impression on the earth after like after their passing um that it's insane to think that like you know you can just do that um but yeah okay that is my story we'll have a short little break quick little, quick break. little break and then we'll come back with Laura's part of her story
Welcome back. We're back, back, back again. Yes. What have you got for us this week, Laura? So I'm going to be talking about one that I'm pretty sure this one is very uh, infamous around the world, but I know it's certainly incredibly infamous in Australia in particular. Okay. And that is the Bodies of the Barrels, otherwise known as the Snowtown Murders. Yes. Yes. So this has a few kind of parts to it, I guess. Um so first I want to talk about the perpetrators of the crimes and then I want to talk about the victims. So the perpetrators of these crimes was John Bunting, Robert Wagner, James Vlasikis and Mark Hayden. So all four of these men are responsible for the crimes, but it is kind of fairly widely accepted that John Bunting was A, the most violent of the group, and B, potentially kind of like the ringleader that brought everyone together. Right. So John Bunting was born on the 4th of September 1966 in Queensland. Like many of the people that we talk about on this show, John did have a pretty sort of horrific childhood. So when he was eight, he was violently sexually assaulted, and this was thought to be a big driving factor behind his personality, his sadistic tendencies, as well as his particular uh, vicious hatred of pedophiles as well as people from the queer community. Okay, right. So he was known to have been a bully and disruptive throughout his school years as well as killing small animals. But Bunting was described as a leader with a charismatic and convincing personality that lured people in and this is what ultimately led him to bring people into these crimes with him. So at the age of 22, he got a job at a slaughterhouse where many people had heard him commenting on how he loved slaughtering the animals. He would brag about his kills, telling anyone who would listen how much he enjoyed, which is just... Red flag. Yeah. Red flag. So eventually in 1991, he moves from Queensland to a town called Salisbury North where he befriends his new neighbours, Mark Hayden and Robert Wagner. So Robert Wagner was born the 28th of November 1971 in Sydney, New South Wales, and he met Bunting in 1991. So at the time they met, Wagner was in a relationship, and I would like to preface this next part I'm going to talk about saying I really don't want to misgender someone. So some of the sources that I use for research refer to Wagner's partner as trans woman Vanessa Lane. And then other people refer to Wagner's partner as a gay man called Barry Lane. Um, On a source that I use for this particular part, it's talking about um, the deaths of people in the trans community. That website refers to Barry as a he. They gender him as a he, but they also refer to him as Vanessa. So I'm just going to refer to them as them and use their surname because That's I really don't want to yeah. misgender someone, especially someone who's been violently. Yeah, murdered. and it's hard to know because a lot of news outlets will just typically not use give people's a shit dead names, even though they don't need to. And yeah. I'm not about that. So and there I'm is just a gonna... lot of you know uh, hatred towards the trans community from some of these articles and people who write them. So it is. Yeah. A so a lot hard. of a lot of websites did refer to them as Barry, as a 42 year old gay man who cross dressed. So I would rather just refer to them with their surname because I don't want to misgender or dead name someone. So Lane and Wagner had been dating since he was 14. And so many people found their relationship particularly odd given Wagner's shared hatred with bunting of people from the queer community. So a lot of people are like, 
Okay. Yeah. That's super hypocritical of you. James Velasquez was born 24th of December 1979. Velasquez was involved in the group as he was Bunting's stepson who had married his mother, Elizabeth Harvey. Velasquez first met Bunting when he was 14 and he had suffered addiction problems throughout his life, which a lot of people think led him to kind of look up to this charismatic sociopath that had suddenly entered his life. Because they met when Velasquez was quite young, Bunting had plenty of time to radicalise him when it came to people within the queer community as well as people that Bunting saw as pedophiles. Mm -hmm. When Velasquez eventually confessed to Bunting that he had been molested by his older brother when he was a teenager, obviously Bunting sort of took this as an opportunity to really kind of bring him under his wing and into his... uh, radicalized views the final person involved in these crimes was mark hayden he was born on the 4th of december 1958 and he allegedly was the person who rented the bank space where a lot of the final crimes were unraveled so on the 20th of may 1999 in the relatively quiet south australian town of snowtown after a string of missing persons reports from various towns around snowtown Eight bodies are found inside a bank vault in plastic barrels partially dissolved in an acid solution. The murders would eventually be attributed to the aforementioned men, with another four murders eventually coming to light for a total of 12 victims. The murders occurred across a time period of six years from 1994 until 1999, and it wasn't until the final two victims went missing with incredibly close connections to the four men that police kind of eventually closed in. So the victims were Clinton Trezise, age 22, Ray Davies, age 26, Susan Allen, who was Bunting's ex-girlfriend, age 47, Michelle, again, Michelle is sometimes referred to as Michael, sometimes referred to trans women, sometimes referred to gay men who cross-dressed. Mm. So I hate that, that, you know, it, it just, it just causes unnecessary, like, confusion yeah. as to who they really were. Like, you say they yeah. were cross-dressing, like, that's just... So Gardner was age 19, Lane, who was Wagner's ex-partner, was age 42 at the time of their death, Thomas Trevelyan, age 18, Gavin Porter, age 29, Troy Ude, age 21, Frederick Brooks, age 18, Gary O'Dwyer, age 29, Elizabeth Hayden, age 37, and David Johnson, age 24. So nearly all of the victims were known to the killers either in passing or by being directly related by blood or connected through, you know, this person was one of the killer's ex-girlfriends who dated this person who was killed. So they, it is kind of wild that it took the police as long as it did, considering literally all of the victims, except for maybe two of them are directly linked to the group, but yeah. I mean, you know, we've had we, many conversations. We have, about yeah. Australian police, when have I'm we sure. ever really known the Australian police to do mm. their jobs well? So, not only did the men torture and kill these people, they would often force their victims to recite their banking details and their social security details, enabling them to steal money from their bank accounts and continue to steal welfare payments before it was realized that they were missing or deceased. Police estimate that estimated that the group stole in around about $95,000 from the people that they'd killed. Financial reasons, however, were not the group's main reason for killing. It was just to them like a nice kind of little side effect. 
that they got from it. Both Bunting and Wagner had convinced themselves that they were heroes on a moral crusade against pedophiles and the morally corrupt, although most of the time the excuses they used for murders were based on flimsy town rumours that nearly always proved to be entirely false. Yeah. Clinton Trezise was the group's first victim and he was found buried in a shallow grave in 1994. He had been killed with a hammer after Bunting had accused him of being a pedophile. Clinton was lured to the home of Bunting under the pretense of having social drinks and was beaten to death with a hammer in his living room. Their next victim, Ray Davies, lived in the backyard of a woman called Suzanne Allen in a caravan and was a friend of Suzanne Allen was a friend of Bunting's. Ray was mentally handicapped and was accused by Suzanne of sexually assaulting her grandchildren. Elizabeth Harvey, who was Bunting's wife at the time, actually assisted with the torture of Ray before he was eventually murdered. And due to his lack of family and his social situation, he was actually never reported missing. Suzanne Allen was the same woman who had accused Ray. She also went missing with her remains eventually being found wrapped in plastic bags. However, her death was ultimately never ruled. Like most people suspect they did it, but a jury weren't able to come to a uh, unanimous decision. And so they were never never formally charged with her murder. That's sad. So Michael or Michelle Gardner who was openly gay, was accused by Bunting of being a pedophile and murdered for essentially his sexual preferences or their sexual preferences. Their fifth victim was Lane, who had previously dated one of the men, Wagner, despite his abhorrence of queer people. So both Lane and their later boyfriend, boyfriend, Thomas Trevelyan, were both tortured and murdered. Lane was one of the first victims to be disposed of in the barrels after their body was wrapped in a piece of carpet. Trevelyn's death was originally attributed to suicide due to his body being found hanging from a tree. Trevelyn suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and he'd actually assisted in the murder of Lane and then it's alleged, uh, not alleged, it's surmised that he was eventually killed by the group in order to keep him quiet because he was a paranoid schizophrenic so they were probably very concerned that he was going to blab. Gavin Porter knew the group through James Velasquez, one of the murderers, as they were in the same methadone clinic for heroin addiction. Bunting chose Porter as a victim after finding a used syringe in his lounge. Again, he made some very tentative claim that Porter was morally corrupt and so he deserved to die and Porter was strangled to death in his car, which was parked on Bunting's property at the time of his death. Troy Yu was the mentally handicapped son of Elizabeth Harvey and half-brother of James Velasquez, who had accused Troy of sexually assaulting him. Troy was beaten with wooden planks and then tortured and strangled, this allegedly being the first murder that James Velasquez actively participated in. Fred Brooks was another intellectually disabled boy who was the son of a woman who was in love with Bunting at the time of his murder. We're seeing connections. Are we seeing how yeah. how it's really hard to imagine that the police didn't somehow connect the dots? You would think. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we don't have a. Or, I mean, any police ever has a history of not giving a shit about the gay community or mentally handicapped mentally handicapped people. people. Yeah, mm. there's a there's de- a definite connection there. Yeah. Um. So. 
It was alleged that Fred was picked purely due to him being intellectually disabled and being an easy victim. The men, during their torture of him, forced him to make voice recordings, which they then used to kind of keep up the appearance of him still being alive in order to keep taking his welfare payments. Uh, Gary O'Dwyer was again picked as an easy target after having been injured permanently in a car accident, so he was physically handicapped. He was killed in his own home by Bunting, Wagner and Velasquez. And the final two crimes were the ones that finally allowed the police to properly connect the dots. How it took that long? Mm. Don't know. So Elizabeth Hayden was Mark Hayden's wife, one of the men involved in these crimes. And she was killed by Bunting and Wagner while Mark was out, allegedly for having made sexual advances towards Bunting. So again, they kind of draw this tenuous, you are morally corrupt and so you deserve to die kind of thing. Her own husband helped dispose of her body, allegedly laughing when he found out that she'd been brutally murdered. Yeah, okay. That's not a fucked up way to react, but sure. Which is... Great. Yeah. We we love to see it. Yeah. The final victim was David Johnson, who was James Velasquez's other half-brother, so they were stepbrothers. He was murdered in the bank where the barrels and bodies were kept. His body was dismembered and then disposed of in the barrels. Now, one of the reasons it took police so long to kind of get their shit together was the bodies were continuously moved. So any time attention in that area would kind of get too hot. They would move the barrels to a different location as well as the crimes were committed in various locations without that many kind of matching traits in how the victims were killed. When the bodies were finally moved to the bank vault in the small town of Snowtown, it was actually the locals that alerted police to a strange group of newcomers with a large van and the police then investigated this bank vault and found the barrels with the bodies dissolving inside. Of the four men, Bunting, Wagner and Velasquez were charged with murder and are now serving life sentences, with Mark Hayden serving a 25-year sentence for his involvement for helping them dispose and hide the bodies because he never actually assisted in the killing, allegedly. Yeah. It was actually the longest criminal trial in South Australia's history due to the number of victims and the amount, the sheer amount of information that they had to go through. And it still, as far as I could see, holds that record for being the longest criminal trial in South Australia's history. Right. I mean, not to be a dick, but South Australia, you know, not a lot goes down down there. So Which, I, I mean, is probably not a terrible thing in terms of murder. At I least. mean, no, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. That's kind of what you want from... Somewhere you live. Yeah, South Australia, you got one thing going for you. Not a lot of murder. Not a lot of murders. It's really all I'm looking for out of somewhere I live, but that's okay. Maybe you get less churches and more things to do. Maybe that's why there's no murders, because there's so many churches. Maybe. It's God-fearing people. Yeah, maybe you guys are just highly religious as fuck. But yeah, so that is the story of the bodies in the barrels. And there is a very good, like, docudrama... Uh, I think it's just called Snowtown that's been made of this story, which is quite a good movie. Right. If you're looking for a bit more of a dramatised version of this story. Um, This was one of those stories where I was a bit unsure because there was a lot more detail that I could have included, but that really would have required going into like super gory details of how the victims were tortured and like what was done to them. 
I don't know. I don't really like to yeah. go into too much detail. It just I, seems a bit gratuitous. I think it's um, in in some instances it kind of is necessary to to show you the levels of what these people did to the victims. Like, what makes these people so heinous? You know, that makes you say that's mm. just the most despicable thing you could have done. But yeah, uh, Robert Wagner was just kind of a bit of a nut job as well. So at his trial, when he was kind of asked why he did it, he was quoted as saying, pedophiles were doing terrible things to children. The authorities didn't do anything about it. I decided to take action. I took that action. Thank you. I mean, you didn't really. You kind of just were like, that person might be a pedo. And this was also... So it's kind of widely accepted that Robert Wagner and James Vlaskis got involved. They were kind of radicalised about uh, vigilante justice against pedophiles, but it's kind of widely accepted that most of the victims were killed due to unsubstantiated claims made by Bunting. And it's kind of just like, you know, John Bunting was a psychopath who wanted an excuse to kill people. So he got this group of together and convinced them that all these people were pedophiles. Cause as far as I can see, aside from one of the victims who was accused by Susan Allen of sexually assaulting her grandchildren, of which I don't think there's actually any evidence any to proof, support that. Yeah. Uh, none of them were pedophiles. Yeah. I think it is it's exactly what you said where they just need, um, a reason or a, uh, something to blame their murders on. You find it with mm. everyone. Like Jet Dharma's like, I just want people to stay with me forever. But yeah, he just, um, he based most of his claims on just like rumors that he'd heard or his own personal suspicions. And he, um, John Bunting had this room in his house with this wall where it was basically he kept a chart tracking sort of names and information about people he suspected of being pedophiles or gay. Right. And I learned a new slang today, which is apparently an Australian slang term that I've never heard before, which is rock spider. And rock spider is allegedly an Australian slang term referring to pedophiles commonly used in prisons. I've never heard that before. Yeah, neither. I've never heard that before. So this is from an American website though. So... So maybe they heard someone saying it once and they're like, this is it's Australian, Australian slang. slang. No. Like shrimp on not. a barbie. It's like, that's not, we don't say that. Yeah. But it's really interesting because like so many of the people we talk about on this show, it's kind of like John Bunting was clearly an unstable psychopath, but he had that weird charismatic personality that allowed him to convince these other three men to yeah. help him with these horrendous crimes. I mean, you see that a lot. I mean, we're, we've just been rewatching Tiger King and you see how like Joe Exotic just gets mm. young and impressionable men who aren't gay to join him in homosexual yeah. relationships. Just He's able to... String them along either either by promises of meth because he knows they're addicts, or mm. it's the same thing here. Like these were people who were obviously, in their own ways, not mentally competent and somewhat deranged. And he, being a perfect psychopath, is able to convince them that they should 
join along with him for yeah. X, Y, Z reason. 100%. It's but fascinating. Yeah, so that is the Snowtown Murders, a.k.a. Bodies in the Barrels. Is this what inspired the Bodies in the Barrel in Dexter? Potentially. Because you remember, it's a similar uh, pretext. It's bodies that are hidden within... Being dissolved in acid. Uh, in, in, in barrels and they're captured and murdered in despicable ways. And it's a ring of people. It's mm. one charismatic leader who's the psychopath who runs the entire thing. And there's people around him that he knows, that he's friends with, that he convinces to join in. Sounds very reminiscent like that one Dexter arc about the bodies in the barrel. I can't see anything just just from immediate, just from Googling it quickly. Right. But I mean, it's highly possible. Yeah. It could have, I mean, Criminal Minds does it all the time where they take real life instances and they recreate them into Mm. stories. Um, That'd be interesting if they actually took that and made a story out of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Like, it's just wild to me that it took so long. It wasn't really until um, one of their final victims, Elizabeth Hayden, who was Mark's wife, her brother reported her missing because he didn't, like, Mark Hayden was giving him all these excuses as to where his wife had gone. And he was like, "Mm, yeah, that doesn't seem legit. Plus, she left. Her two, like, she just left town and left her kids. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound legit. It's interesting because this is sort of in a time, like, Australia is not, hasn't always been as, you know, I guess advanced or, like, kept up with America or Japan Mm. or other countries, like, in terms of, like, technology or just how things operate. Yeah. You know, when you think of, like, America in the 90s, you think of, like, you know, you look at the world, like you look at Friends or Will and Grace, whatever you see, that's what the world was sort of like in the 90s. Where in Australia, it's sort of different. Like for many years in Australia, we, we were sort of a rural, um, quiet country where mm. like nothing really happened, um, you know, right up until fucking Port Arthur, really, um, which just kind of shook the country. Australia is just kind of one of those weird places where it's like nothing really of substance happens until it does happen yeah. and it's just in- intense. So like I, when something like this happens in Australia, it's like the police either were just incompetent or just didn't give a shit or just didn't even know how to Yeah, well, I process guess it's people it. on the fringes of society. Yeah, and in areas like in Queensland, South Australia, where it's like the, the main prevalence of the force and where people are going is in Sydney. Mm. You know, that like even to this day, like Sydney is the epicenter of people visiting Australia. When people want to go to Australia, they think of Harbour Bridge, you know, Opera House. Sometimes they think of Uluru. Sometimes they think of, you know, the city of Melbourne. Yeah. But for years, it's been like Sydney is the kind of central area. So when these things are ha- sort of happening, you know, and it could have been a similar situation in America where there's like differing states not really communicating with each other, mm. especially, you know, quiet little areas like Queensland and South, South Australia. Australia. But yeah, I think that kind of concludes the 
formal part of our series. Yeah, I like how you said formal. What What do you mean? I just said it like normal, didn't no, I? No, I just, I mean, like, like how you call it formal. Oh, well, it is more it, formal. It's more formal it's... than the second part. Well, yeah, because we just talk shit in the second yeah. part. Well, anyway, carry on. If you're new around here, this is the part of the show where we have finished talking about our stories and Tom and I usually just like talk shit for 20 minutes. So if you are someone who just wants to come for the stories, thank you for listening. And we will catch you on Friday for our On the Rocks episode. Yes. A little nip of something extra just to keep you going. The fuck was that? That was the weirdest noise was, ever. Yeah, that was... Um, oh, I think it was the fence moving in the wind. Oh, was it? Yeah, that was very creepy. It was very and creepy. I'm now on edge. <laughs> Super creepy. It was like... I don't know if you guys have ever played... No, no, let's not talk... No, no, talking no, about scary no, things. No, Super, Super Mario 64. Oh, okay. There's like... Um, it's Yeah, there's like... Uh, like I won't even... I won't go into it. There's, okay. there's a thing that goes... <laughs> Okay. And that's what the noise was that we just heard. And it's... It's probably one of the cats, to yeah, be honest. probably. Anyway, how has your week been, everyone? I hope you've had a great time. We yeah. apologize that we kind of skipped out on the On the Rocks episode. We just got a little bit caught up in our first week of being allowed out of the house yeah. and didn't really manage our time that well. We hit up a, a bar in Sydney called Papagetti's. We had one or two cocktails, maybe maybe three Maybe 11. Maybe. Maybe 25. And then I was completely incapacitated on Sunday. Yeah. Tama took very good care of me. I did. At one point, it looked like a, a small animal had like run through the room because I was still in bed. There was like a box of dry crackers on the bed and like crumbs everywhere, a half-eaten McDonald's sausage sandwich, a half-drunk coffee frappe, Half drunk Barocca, like yeah. a discarded yogurt pouch. <laughs> it looked like a small child had thrown a tantrum. It was just me trying to survive the day. Yeah, it was a fun weekend though. It's it's um it's kind of an an, an adjustment coming back into like just yeah. things being open and seeing people and being around people. Like it's a it's it's a welcome change to like the past few months of just not being able to do fuck all but i do also think it was kind of because we're not even like even at the height of being out of lockdown neither yeah. of us are really big bar people we're much more pub people yeah so it was kind of nice to kind of like scratch that itch go to the fancy bar and now i kind of feel that i don't need to go for another six months because we also spend a disgusting amount of money every time we go to a cocktail bar it's yeah really, it kind of just gets out of it hand just snowballs like, how really fast and you're like happen? how how did we get here okay yeah. well i guess i can't not it's not like a clothing store where i can put things back like yeah. hey let me refund that yeah <laughs> but anyway no it's worth it and yeah and now and, i'm just ready to kind of get back into a little bit of a routine yeah so. exactly it's sort of um, it's hard to sort of adjust back into that though. I think a lot of people that you kind of talk to, and you know, people have talked to us, are sort of saying that the hardest thing is finding that routine. Yeah, it's like know? a little overwhelming to have suddenly just been like, "Oh, cool, alrighty, yeah. off you go." Like a our our friend um Jacob, who's studied most of his past few years to become a music teacher. 
online online essentially is has been doing casual work since before lockdown but he's now been offered several days from two different places like two different schools Mm. and it's it's crazy just going from like having nothing and just sort of figuring out what the fuck am I going to do once this all ends and it's just like oh shit now I'm working like full time yeah now I have to actually figure it out Jesus Christ it's crazy but yeah that's kind of um, our little week adventure we did something pretty much every day of the week and by Sunday I was dead and so it's been really nice to not have something on every night this week but I guess that's the thing like there was this temptation to just go crazy and see everyone all at once and do something every night but that's not really realistic because that's not what your week-to-week life is well we never really did that like ever no so I think that's why it was so like shocked to the system I'm like okay maybe we should just stick to D&D stick to podcast and do shit on the weekend which is what we're doing this week so it should be a bit more... But I think it was good to sort key. of get it out of your system and like, you know, I've been locked up for so long. Like, let's do something fun and see as many people as we sort of can yeah. and still stay safe. But also it's like now we can sort of get back into the routine yeah, of like... routine. We've I got just like seeing people every now and then. going. Yeah. We're waking up, going for morning walks. Yep. Fucking killing it, mate. Really killing are. it. Killing it. Absolutely killing it. Um, what else do we talk about? What do we talk about nearly every week? I have no very smart updates for you all because I haven't had time to read. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to get back into that this week. So I'll let you know, Adventures in Fairy Smart. Again, if you have any recommendations, please let me know. I'm currently reading the third book in the From Blood and Ash series. Ooh, I'm not going to lie. It's gotten a little too plotty. A little too plotty and not nearly enough smutty. Just one more smut. I'm like, can you throw in some more sex scenes, please? Thanks. Yeah. I'm um, get. I, I was a little bit depressed because I'm reaching the halfway point of what is the most recent book by the A Song of Ice and Fire series. And then it's all done until he decides to. But there is a prequel book called Fire and Blood, which is all about the Targaryens. Right. Which I, which is incidentally, is what they're um making that new series about. I don't know if you saw the trailers for it. Mm. Um, I So I don't really give a shit about the show. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I it's going to be great. Like, I know it's, it's a different team, but I'm just so, like, soiled by... Have you soiled yourself, Tom? Yeah, I just pee my pants... I'm so in the worst about way. The Game of Thrones last season. Um, I don't know. I just don't really care. No, it did. It left a really bitter taste. But that's why I think we have to watch it. Yeah. Because you have to support HBO doing more Game of Thrones yes. content because with the good writers. Yeah, and because the, the source is just so fantastic. And Fire Blood, as I said, is a already pre-existing book, yeah. and you have a World of Ice and Fire, which details the entirety of like the setting yeah. of. Westeros, of Essos, of the Dawn of Age, of the Age of Heroes, like everything. Um, so I think if they do it right, you know, it could be fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of doing it right. You know, like when they made Game of Thrones, they had to cut out like battle so scenes much. and things because obviously it makes sense. They're not, they weren't as high budget as it were as the ending seasons. Like they, they can't have battles every fucking second episode. Mm. But this is a, 
story where they there are many battles where characters go through battles where characters develop yeah and nice you, then you just have like Tyrion getting knocked out by a fucking a, a hammer yeah or an the, axe whatever it was that's before that's the good shit man that's the that's the good shit yeah but like you know it is what it is I just hope they sort of do it I mean like you don't even have to really do the the original story like make mm. your own sort of thing based off of the plot line like there's this um company called Telltale Games who do like point and click adventure like choose your own path thing mm. and they made one for Game of Thrones and it centers around this family called the Foresters who are North Bannermen and their family kind of goes through the fucking trenches after the Red Wedding and you sort of follow different characters in that and they sort of just like here's a minor house that's mentioned in the books, not even really explored. Let's make stories around characters that we just made up. Who? Yeah, why not? Because we can. Who have interactions with mainline characters? Like that's we fucking interesting. Can. Um, what I just else? I like that. What else has been happening that's exciting? I went and got my boobs measured today. Yeah. For my dress. That was fun. I'm a big old. You say it like you were there. No, but I was thinking <laughs> about it while you were gone. Of course you were. Uh, yeah, that was, it, I mean, it was actually super anticlimactic. I was expecting it to be like a big thing and they'd have to do all this, these things. And it was just literally like some random woman with a tape measure and she mm. was like, take your top off. And I was like, okay. And then she measured my waist and my boobs and she was like, cool, done. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm glad I only leave like 10 minutes away. Otherwise I actually would have been genuinely pissed off if I'd driven like 40 minutes. Yeah. Like, bitch, you could have told me that's all you needed. I would have just done that at home. Like, I have a tape measure at home. I'm perfectly capable of measuring my own boobies. Um, the trailer for the Batman drops, like, the, the full proper it trailer. It's, it looks okay. fantastic. I haven't watched it yet. They've confirmed a sequel and a trilogy for the... Oh! For the, like, like, this is okay. the first of three movies. So, we're, we're recreating, like, um, Christian Bale's... I think so. Not recreating. But like, but like just sort of little, doing yeah, that sort of thing. Love that. I, I just, it, it's interesting because, you know, Marvel has this like plethora of, of movies and universes that all exist within one universe. And they kind of explain it as like, you know, here's... It, they even explain like the retconned movies that mm. don't exist anymore, like the Hulk and the That's old cool. Spider-Mans. They're like, yeah. you know, there's timelines that exist in different timelines and different universes and they're all connected by this one multiverse thing whereas dc is kind of just like uh, i don't really know what the fuck i'm doing we have yeah. like three four flashes and the next flash film is going to apparently tie everything together cool thanks guys yeah yeah like they, they really... have sorry to interrupt they have michael keaton's batman meeting up with ben affleck's batman in the next flash movie the and you're like fuck? wait Why? what <laughs> They're trying to do like the multiverse thing. Right. Um, I'll still never forget an argument I had with this girl one time when she was like, what was the name of the original Batman? And I was like, Adam West. She was like, no, 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 The original Batman. And I was like, yep. Adam West. Adam yeah. West. She was like, no, it's not Adam West. Like the original. I'm like, babe, you can say it yeah. as many times as you want. It's still going to be Adam West. Adam West. It's Adam motherfucking West. Yeah. One of the greatest of all time. Who was the original Superman? 
I don't know that. What's his name? I don't know. Christopher something. Yeah, that I do not know the name of. You probably have to look that up. Anyway, Adam West is. is the original Batman. Yeah. And it was really frustrating. I don't know if she meant like who who's, wrote the comic or something. I think what she means is like, like, no, but like who's like the titular Batman of this time, which would, I guess would be, you know, Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's cool. And the direction they're sort of taking in is, is that I think they're looking at the success of the Joker, of Joker, sorry, and seeing like, hey, we do really well when we pay when directors we do dark. and actors who do like, like dark, like real serious movies. Because I feel like they saw that Marvel had such a success with goofy. having goofy, sarcastic, yeah. and they were like, wow, they're making a shit ton of money. But you Let's know what? do that. You know what? They did it really fucking well with the Suicide Squad. Yeah, but even that was still pretty dark and violent and gory. Yeah. But that's what I mean. I think they have this like... like the Batman and the Superman, their stories are fucking dark. There's yeah. a storyline in the comics where Batman gets hooked on drugs. Like, yeah. And they go to like alternate universes where Superman kills the Joker. Oh, because... Superman's bi now? Is he really? I think so. Huh. I'm sure I saw that in the news that the latest comic book they've brought out, he's bisexual. Right. There but no, like, I think the Dark Knight proved that DC does dark yeah. really well. And then they moved away from that. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? It's also just what interesting. Doing? They're doing like this whole Zodiac Killer thing with the Riddler. Like they're mm. making him be like this. Like the whole idea is, is like, this is year two Batman. So he's just this sort of young adult who's built this persona to control the crime in the city and even the police don't really trust him criminals see him as one of them like it's this real dark like trying to prove himself as justice as vengeance mm. um and the riddler's like this fucking horrifying zodiac-esque killer he even like his mask is reminiscent of that of the oh. zodiac killer's mask can we talk about how upsetting the news has been recently so did they give me that? fucking whiplash no they had like a so from my understanding was a group of investigators who aren't part of like the police or the cia they're right. just kind of like crack code of and crack team of investigations yeah they identified this dude called gary now i can't find his name gary something mm-hmm. they were like he's the zodiac killer and then the FBI have kind of declined. The FBI and the San Fran Police Department have both kind of declined to comment and said that the investigation is still well and truly open as far as they're concerned, which I guess right. isn't necessarily a no, but, yeah, it's not really a yes, which... We had thank you so much to everyone who sent us like news articles yeah. and stuff on Instagram. We did get a lot But of it that. gave me whiplash and it made me sad that they haven't actually. Because I got so excited. So excited for a good 30 seconds. And then I read the article and I was like, God damn it. Yeah. I mean, there's no cause for them to be like, you know, this is him. But there's no, then like the FBI to be like, we're not going to say it is him. Like if it was him. You know full well the FBI were taking full fucking credit for that. 100%. It 
Be like, yeah, we we solved it. We yeah. fucking solved it after all this time. It was us. like thanks to these independent investigators for helping us but tie we up loose did ends. It. But we figured this out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a bit, bit anticlimactic. Yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those things which just we'll never fucking know. Cause well, you know, they thought that about the Golden State Killer. Yeah, but that was like a case of just people not really knowing what to do with the, the technology they had back then. It's the same thing with Zodiac, but it's like with Zodiac, it's like this is someone who's literally toying with the police about how they're not going to get caught. Mm. which like a lot of people did. BTK did it. Son of Sam did it. And they did it successfully until they just sort of fucked up. Yeah. BTK only got caught because he t- asked the police if they were able to trace a floppy, floppy disk. disk. And they were like, nah, man. And they're like, no, nah, we can't Definitely do that. Definitely not. <laughs> which like, I mean, we they're lied. not supposed to do that, but they, <laughs> they did it. Are they not supposed to? I feel like... I don't think they're supposed to do that. I don't think that's... I feel like if a serial killer asks you something... I mean, that's the thing. If someone was like... If someone hit the police up, a regular Joe, was like, can you trace floppy disks? They would most likely be like, legally speaking, if we have probable cause, we can. But if like the fucking BTK killer hits you up and he's like, just, you know... Just what an idiot! Off it the makes, cuff, it makes you wonder how the fuck he got away. Yeah, with not getting caught. Like, dude, how are you that dumb? Like, you really thought the police <clears throat> were gonna just be like, give, like, give you solid and yeah. tell you a real answer? Which is just weird and contradictory because the other things he did were like, unless maybe he kind of knew and wanted to get caught and wanted maybe. to. There are a lot of those, you know. Like, you never know. Son of Sam was waiting for the day that he got caught. You just. Never know. Yeah. Sometimes all they want is just the story that's made about them. They want mm. the articles and they want the copycats. Um, they just want the attention. And sometimes going to prison and having a name to go with the fictional, um, you know, titular Yeah, name. but just imagine having a... Co- like, I don't want to say that the names serial killers are given are cool... But come on, the Zodiac Killer, that's a sick fucking name. I'm not going to even try and pretend it's not a cool name. It's just Imagine a... having something as cool sounding as the Zodiac Killer and then it turns out your real name is Gary. Yeah, that's just anticlimactic. No offense to anyone listening to this that is named Gary. It's just not a serial killer name. The, the Zodiac Killer has to be someone like fucking George Jebediah. Bush. Or like Or something... But he has to be someone who's like, when you George, find out, George Bush? yeah. But like, just imagine if it was like fucking George it's Bush, Ted and you're like, and you're like, holy shit, it's Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz. No way. Like that, how fucking insane would Jeffrey that be? Jeffrey Epstein is the Zodiac killer. That wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise Jeffrey me. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, and he's the Zodiac killer. And jet fuel doesn't melt still beams. Yeah. Could you imagine if they planted like little glyphs and like codes by his Epstein's body and then like they were like look let's just wrap this yeah. shit up we're <laughs> sick of people sending us tips look guys it's uh holy shit it's, it's Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein I guess He's the Zodiac yeah killer. cool Ted Cruz is like finally yeah I can live in peace everyone's like um so Jeffrey Epstein is like not old enough to be and they're like no 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 do you know um I believe it was Ted Cruz who people were looking at his Twitter 
and you can see what like I think it was. A, I don't think this is a thing anymore, but you can see what people have liked on Twitter. You can still see people's likes. Can you? Yeah. Um, people did that to Ted Cruz on his like Twitter. I, don't, I I'm like I'm ninety percent it was Ted. I'm pretty sure it was Ted Cruz. They found like he was liking a whole bunch of porn videos. <laughs> so it's just like. Ted Cruz and his like professional portfolio in his life is just nothing but porn. My favorite uh, celebrity gaffe on Twitter is the OJ Simpson thing where people oh, like yeah. messaging him and he was yeah. being like, bro, come, come and fucking stab you. He was like, like sending um, emojis of knives and shit. Um, like, hang on. Uh, I mean, look, double jeopardy. <laughs> so, yeah, you can't get tried again. But Well, he, what he was doing was he, he made an official Twitter, but it wasn't the official one that he wanted because other people had made handles using his name. Right. So he was contacting other people being like, give, give me handle. that handle. They're like, and they're no. like, no, fuck you, killer. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he just goes off, sending like knife emojis and shit. Like, it, it's it, it's not a good look. No. Even if he's like, and he's done that he's before. He's trying to be he's, like joking. It's yeah. like, bro, And no. he's done that before the, the don't, reporter. Don't do he that. like walked through a door with like a banana or something. He's like, <laughs> you're like, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh. oh my God. That's, it's just, it's bad. What's that? Um, What's that TikTok sound where it's like, look. It was a funny joke. Great, even. <laughs> I'm going to need you to stop, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much that is how I That's, feel about O.J. Yeah. Simpson. Which might be an interesting story to yeah, dive shit, into. Yeah, shit, yeah. You know? Because, like, it's one of those things, like, you hear about... Um, the Zodiac, the Dahlia. You hear about these cases because they're notorious. You, they're, they're known throughout the world. Mm. But for the most part, you don't know the story. Like when people know about Ed Kemper, Son of Sam, uh, Dharma, they know like the things they did. You know, yeah. like Kemper killed women and you know, buried their heads in the yard. But Super like, creepy. do you know about his childhood where he was forced to kill a chicken that he befriended. Do you know about Jeffrey Dahmer where he was like weirdly violent to animals and just like yeah. stabbing things? I think normal people don't like to know things about that. I did watch a very interesting video about uh, women's enjoyment of the true crime genre. Yes. Which was very interesting and it brought up parallels between how like women are often – the main victims of serial killers and assault and true crime stories. And people find it so odd that women enjoy consuming true crime media and yet no one bats an eye when it's men who are the biggest victims of war crimes going to war and being killed and yet they're Watching also the biggest films. consumers of action and yeah. war films. It's... No one bats a fucking eye. It's yeah. just like... Can you just let women like things? It's just sort of taking the power back from something that's in some way out of your control. Like, have you ever noticed that? I, I think the trend on TikTok has now kind of died, but there was this huge trend about the word chuggy. Did you ever see that? It was Chugi. basically like like a live, laugh, love poster is like chuggy. So that like girl boss, like 
I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like tacky but not tacky. It's tacky in a super specific way. Okay. And there was this huge thing and then all these people were like, um, you do realise that the phrase chugi is like a non-gendered phrase but you're only really using it to describe things that traditionally oh, women gender, like. Yeah, yeah. So Chugi is an American internet uh, neologism. I don't know how the fuck to say that. The term is commonly claimed to have been popularized by Gen Z as a uh, prerogative to describe lifestyle trends associated with the early 2010s and millennials. This aesthetic has been described as the opposite of trendy or trying too hard, which is fine, totally fine. But if you look up examples of things that are chuggy. What a fucking read. It's always like things that women do. Like there's nothing like hashtag girl boss, like saying Mm. things like, is it too early for wine? Like all those things. And I'm like, those are all things that women do. Can you just let women have interests without? Yeah. It being like chuggy or tacky or that's lame or that's cringe. Like, you do have a lot of. Um, also, I see a lot of women attacking other women. Hundred percent. And it feels sort of counterintuitive. Like it's internalized that's, misogyny, baby. Yeah, it's it's just it's hard to see. We all have it. And you see that with you know very homosexual homophobic men who show homosexual traits. Like you're just sort of suppressing these things that you feel and you're projecting them onto someone that is so openly happy with who they are mm. and you can't be that. So you choose to torment them for being who they are. Yeah. It's the same thing with like women attacking women and men attacking men. You see these people who are either A, successful or B, happy and you're not either of those. Mm. So you choose to attack them for being the things that you want. It's kind yeah. of just disgusting and... But honestly, I just think like, and that's also, I think a part of (laughs) getting older is you just kind of realize you're like, I actually don't really give a shit if people think my hobbies or the things I like are cringe. Like you remember how there was like a fad where it was cool to hate Taylor Swift and then everyone's kind of grown the fuck up and we're like, actually her music's kind of like, not everyone thinks her music is great, but I'm kind of like her music's actually kind of awesome i don't really give a shit if you think i'm lame because i like taylor swift that's because... always been a thing too it, it, like remember it was a thing for to hate lizzo there was mm. endless memes about like fuck lizzo and making fun of her weight and shit just because yeah. she made a song being like i don't really care that i'm overweight like yeah. i am who i am and i'm still sexy as fuck and i still turn it out but and the thing is it's predominantly been uh 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 women who have been the subject of these cases where people are just fucking tormenting them for being... Like, it is a trend. It was a trend with Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. a trend with Lizzo. There's been numerous cases of that where it's just fuck this person in particular for, I don't know, saying something. Mm. I mean, you're you're even kind of seeing it with, like, MGK now. Like... Albeit the things MGK is doing is just is viral media like tactics. I love watching MGK and Megan Fox's relationship. It makes me so happy. But like the the stuff that MGK is doing, he, like he, he what he did was he was talking shit on Slipknot at a 
festival that Slipknot were also performing at and a, a festival that Slipknot predominantly do pretty well in. Yeah. And MGK is a newcomer to the genre of, you know, pop punk and that heavier genre that I think he's trying to assert himself as a musician and him doing this shit has boosted his name and his career mm. astronomically because, you know, you know how that thing, like any any attention sells. Like yeah. any attention is good attention. McGregor is the fucking king of that. Yeah, that probably hasn't been working out too great for him recently. I don't think so, yeah. But like, you know, you think of... Lil Nas X is probably the best example of oh, going using well. viral media. Yeah, the Nike... The Nike, the Nike thing. Um, him. Well, yeah, he fucking utilized the shit out of the. And I was worked. impressed with that. So well. Had everyone convinced that he was going to court. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm going to be live streaming my court appearance. Turns yeah. out it was promo for a new single. Oh, but even just. Genius. Even just lap dancing on the devil and like using a, a pole to de- descend to hell. Yeah, perfect example of being like, here's this thing, there's this thing you don't like about me? Yeah. Cool, I'm just going to be that thing even more. But it was fantastic because it like it blew up and in a large way it garnered a lot of like negative attention because mm. people like who were homophobic and anti-gay rights and everything like that like saw it as like disgusting and overly sexual yeah. and same thing with WAP, you know? Like, and also nine times out of ten, if you have something that is in the mainstream considered okay, yeah, and then you have a small kind of like shitty fringe group of people that attack you, yeah, nine times out of ten, you will you don't even need to defend yourself. Like the people who like your content will do that for, for you, you, which is what we found on a very small scale when we had that one video on TikTok and we had a couple of people commenting stupid, ridiculous yeah. things. We didn't really even have to do anything. It was Not other really. people commenting, being like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, what do you want about? You're ridiculous, yeah. Because I think 90% of people have brains, or yeah. I like to hope so. Anyway, the moral of this story is just like, be like whatever you want to fucking like. I just took a quiz and turns out I'm 100% chuggy. I also love that Gen Z is like, we are going to read the generation above us. I'm like, yes, sweetie, you also didn't invent that. Yeah, we've been. They seem to think like it's, but it's not even us. We didn't invent that. Just, just every generation thinks they're better than the generation that that came before them. That's just how generations. Yeah, we coined the term boomer. You can't come for us. They call us boomers now, apparently. Which is like just so Which stupid. It doesn't even make sense because yeah. it's a different generation. Yeah, like, all right, look, just go to high school, enjoy your fucking... Just do your little dances. I also think both you and I feel a little bit weird when it comes to generations because, like, we're both on the cusp. Of like You're literally end. right on the cusp and I'm just within yeah. millennialness. Yeah. I think millennialism, the, the generation of millennials ended in like 90, 96 or 98, depending on what you read. Yeah. So we're both kind of like, with, I didn't realize that you can ha- be like a 40-year-old millennial, yeah. which I didn't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Because I just associate millennials with people my age. Eliza Shelsinger says elder millennial. Elder millennial. And apparently mm. I'm a 
young and millennial. Young and yeah. So I think that's why I kind of feel this weird like I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of relate to a lot of stuff for like millennial generation, but I also am not even 30 yet. Like I still relate to a current Yeah, like current Gen Z stuff, yeah. And we're on anyway. TikTok, so we're fucking well we're on fucking the that means i still don't get that i will say there are some gen z humor things where i'm like i don't get it it's just it's a weird noise is that the the point anyway let's wrap this up yeah i feel Um, like we've been talking for ages anyway we have been the best Best of cold Cold podcast leave us a review share the episode follow us on social media yeah at the bsc podcast tell us your favorite chuggy trend yep and the code word for it's this week is Chugi. Chugi. Yeah, perfect. To clarify, it's spelt C-H-E-U-G-Y. There you go. So send us photos of your Chugi little pets on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, apparently being like a cat mum, dog mum, that's Chugi. Yeah, well, fucking apparently. whatever. At least we know. have old enough to adopt pets. True. You know, you can't even fucking buy, use a pencil without a license, you fucks. Yeah. Um... Send us photos of your pets. We will review them and critique them and send you a rating system. Not really, but just send us your pets anyway. There's no rating system because they're all amazing. Yeah, you you all 10 out of 10, no matter what you have or what breed they are. Mm. We like them. We have we don't discriminate against any pets. If you have a little scaly, a little feathery or a little furry. We love them all. Yeah, we love them all. I can't stop hiccuping, so we need to okay, cool. end this. Let's... Uh, yeah, check us out next on this fr- this Friday for our little mini episode on the rocks, and then next Wednesday for our main episode. So we'll see you guys we'll later. See you on Friday. Bye. Bye. That's Chugget.